3: We're back with more Inside the Clubhouse with Bruce Levine and Matt Spiegel on Sports Radio 670 The Score and 670thescore.com, Chicago's sports station. You are indeed listening to Inside the Clubhouse right here on 670 The Score. I'm Matt Spiegel. He is Bruce Levine. Uh, This morning it became official. Austin Romine is your newest Chicago Cub Signed to be the backup catcher to Wilson Contreras, and uh, and we'll see. Do you think Contreras will be here, Bruce? Do you think there's um, more trade possibilities here for the Cubs in the coming
4: weeks? Well, if the Cubs are serious about if the Cubs are serious about contending this year and winning, and also building toward the future. They have to keep Wilson Contreras this year. I mean, he's, he's a key to not only uh, their their pitchers, but also, uh, you know, the dynamic hitting that he can supply. So um, he is, a to me, a very underrated player, and he always has been for the Chicago Cubs. Uh, in a room full of all-stars, you know, I think the people forget how important and how much he's improved mm-hmm. over the years.
3: It is 670. The score inside the clubhouse is the show. I'm Matt Spiegel, and he is Bruce Levine. Our next guest joins us on the Alpamani Nissan hotline Alpamani Nissan and Melrose Park on North Avenue, or go to apnissan.com.
4: Matt, we are pleased to bring in the Director of International Operations Special Assistant to Judd Hoyer, Louis Alhawa, a good friend and a guy that's uh, been in that role running uh, the international operations for the Cubs for a long time. Louie, welcome to the show. Uh, appreciate you joining Matt and I this morning.
5: Hey, guys. How you doing, Bruce? Matt,
4: how, everything going okay up there? Yes, sir. Yeah, Thank we're you. doing good. Uh, we want to talk, good. We want to talk a little bit about your uh, international signings. Uh, is Christian Hernandez indeed the next Alex Rodriguez, or is that too heavy a load to carry? Well,
5: he is—he uh, is a really good-looking prospect, that's for sure. I don't know if it's fair to do that, compare him <laughs> to players of that historical caliber quite yet. But um, you know, all, all indications show that this kid's going to be pretty special. Um, we've been following him for a while, and uh, you know, everything about him is really jumps off the page. And uh, I I will say this, I'm as excited about signing Christian Hernandez as I've been about anybody that we've signed with the Cubs here since I've been here. So I will say that. But he is, you know, everything that, at least from a prospects standpoint, everything that you read about, you know, from a tool standpoint, from a baseball IQ standpoint, uh, makeup, um, you know, the whole package, it's, it jumps out, and we're excited to have him for sure.
3: That is a strong statement, Bruce. Absolutely, when you think about all the different international signings that have come in through the Cubs. And, and Louis has Louis, Louis been here a while doing all that and with some other organizations before. So, so Christian Hernandez, now 18, um, 6'2", 175, but uh expected obviously to add some bulk to that. Is this is this a kid who would who could stay at shortstop or if he grows a little bigger and gains some power, might he end up uh moving around?
5: No, we, we think definitely he has a very good chance of staying at shortstop. Um despite, you know, he's gonna he, he's gonna have some physicality to him. Um you know, the A Rod comparisons are or not just from a baseball standpoint as far as his ability, but also physically he resembles him quite a bit from his body to his features. And I, I, we kind of, we have a, our camp, our group has them, you know, kind of a cross between A-Rod and Manny Machado physically that what, what it's going to look like down the road. So we'll take either one of them for sure.
4: As far as your other signings go, uh, Louie, um, walk us through some of the guys like Ballesteros and Cabrera um obviously pitching has been uh, something that the the Cubs are are really uh, looking hard to try to develop here what what are uh, some of the guys some of the young guys like uh, Cabrera like uh, that you guys were able to sign during this international period
5: um yeah I'll comment on some of those guys and and, and just a comment before uh christian just turned 17 last month so he is not he'll be 18 another full year
3: Ah, okay so oh,
5: wow. yeah his birthday was he just turned uh 17 december 13th so he'll play this first year at, at, at the age of 17 which is also <laughs> pretty good yeah. uh from that standpoint but moving on to the other guys and I uh, we haven't quite just you know we we have committed uh, verbally, 24 players for this class. We haven't signed all of them yet. We're right. still working through physicals and some challenges logistically because of the virus that has slowed some of them down, but we've got most of them signed. Um, so I'll comment on those guys and bias, Theros, we did sign him uh, uh already pen the paper and he is an exciting looking kid, especially from an offensive standpoint. Um, he is. A bat-first guy as far as his, um, his best tool, but his defense isn't uh, shabby either. We think he's a kid that stays behind the plate with some offensive prowess to him. Um, he's, he's a left-handed hitting catcher, and um, he's, he's, got, he's shown power potential. He's got an advanced approach at the plate. He's a high-contact guy who's flashing you know, some power from the left side already. Um, just from a performance standpoint, we never saw this guy have a bad day at the plate. And we had a lot of looks at him and, you know, whether he was hitting the ball out of the park on any given occasion, or he was, you know, driving a run in with a double in the gap or even just giving you a great at bat and taking 10 pitches on a walk. You know, he showed us everything from an offensive standpoint that we wanted to see at a kid, his age and even beyond. And, um, Behind the plate, um, you know he's a he's he's a decent athlete. He can move around quite a, uh, pretty well. His feet work really well. He's, he throws down to second base anywhere. We've done him anywhere from one eight five to one nine five. So he's accurate. So all those factors are really good with him. A young kid out of Venezuela, also seventeen, and will play at that age all year. He won't turn eighteen till November. Um, so really excited about not just his offensive potential, but what he brings defensively behind the plate for us and his leadership as well. So, um, another kid that we signed um, who's out of the Dominican, uh, Ferrera, Daniel Ferrera. He's a center fielder right now. Um, we hope he can stick there, but if he doesn't, he'll be a corner outfielder with some offense to him as well. He's uh, probably 5'10", 5'11". Resembles kind of a young uh, Mondesi. Um, so we... Uh, he's hes built kind of like that, like a strong, stocky kid who can run a little bit, but his, he has really high... Uh, he hits the ball really hard. Um, his exit velocity is, is up in the upper echelon for a kid his age. And um, really excited about him. Again, we, we like the whole package, but we like his offensive skills, um, uh, especially. So, um, mm-hmm. do you want me to keep going to some of these guys down the list or anybody specific you want me to talk about? Again, I'd like to highlight just the guys that we've already signed.
4: Yeah. Yacht. I understand Monterey. it's sensitive, sensitive area with the uh, Cabrera and yeah. people. You're still trying to, uh, sign. I got it. Yeah, yeah.
3: You know, when you say Mondesi, that's the dad, Raul, you're talking about. Not necessarily. Raul,
4: Raul sorry. Yeah.
3: Yes. <laughs> we, we got to think about Adalberto and there's a little brother for him as, as well. But, yeah, no, I, right. I, get, the, I get the reference. These, these days, Louie, as we, as we check out these guys' Instagram pages, you know, and do our scouting as fans or media, Daniel Ferraro, who you mentioned, decked out in, in Cubs gear uh, on his Instagram yeah. page last couple of oh, months, great. yeah, another kid, um um Offerman Hernandez, a Dominican outfielder. Yes. He's got Javi Baez, uh, a, a picture on his ends Instagram. I'm wondering how much Javi Baez, um at, with his flair and his his appeal and his style, um has helped you. In in de- in developing relationships and and eventually signing some of these sixteen seventeen year old kids because they probably love Javi Bias.
5: They do. It's crazy how how Javi's been kind of a of a you know silent recruiter for us. Maybe I would hmm. say um, he's these kids love him. I mean, Christian Hernandez loves Javi Bias and asked me about him from the first time I had a conversation with him. So. Um you know it's it's a selling point for sure and guys know that you know you know they 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 love his style they love the way he plays the game you know they they love to have their creative you know freedom like we let Javi be creative with the way he plays the game not be restricted and uh we want them to be the same we want them to show their skills and 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 but at the same time, we have to teach them how to play the game correctly and not be too flashy. But at the same time, not restrict them to not have you know their creativity come out as well on the baseball field. But um, and their talents. But um, yeah, just like Wilson uh, Wilson Contreras in Venezuela is is a big selling point for us and and big. But these guys, you know, have come through the system. They've been young Latin kids. Whether they've come through the draft or internationally, and we've, we've kind of built a, a track record with developing these guys through the system and have the the uh, the, uh, the the pipeline come through as far as young Hispanic Latin kids come through, or whether it's our Dominican program, or Venezuela, or Arizona. You know, we build pretty good pretty good track record with some of these guys, albeit some of them haven't had the opportunity to to get to the big leagues as cubs because unfortunately we've traded some away to try to keep our 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 big league team going but um you know glaver is also a guy that people look up to and know he came initially through our system so all those things are selling points for us much like when i was with the marlins we alex gonzalez was a young shortstop out of venezuela in the big leagues for us and was a kid out of Maritime, Venezuela, same hometown as Alex and by the name of Miguel Cabrera, who we we were able to land with Alex's help. So all those things are always a good selling point, especially in this market where it's an open market. It's much like college recruiting sometimes.
4: Louis, you and uh, Alex Suarez have done such a great job over the years. but uh, explain to us about the Dominican facility. You've been involved uh, with uh, numerous teams helping build facilities, and how important it is for like these 17-year-olds like Hernandez that you talk about, like Ballesteros, to not only have a place to to go and work out, uh, but also to learn the language, to learn a little bit about the culture, to be able to assimilate into American society, which sometimes separates uh, guys being able to be successful and not successful in the major leagues. Yeah, no doubt. That's
5: a great point, and we've definitely put resources into that program down there in that facility and and you know we have a great owner in Tom Ricketts and his family and and one of the first things that he did for us when he bought the club was travel to the Dominican uh with myself and Oneri and Alex and Oneri Flita who was the farm director at the time and and wanted to see you know how we operated down there, what what was our, our facility like, how we how we had tryouts, how we signed players. And, you know, I don't think the ink was, you know, yet wet on, on him buying the team when he actually traveled down there. It was fairly right away, you know, fairly recent. He had just bought the team, maybe within a couple of weeks. So and and he came away from there at the time we we rented a facility in Boca Chica, which was functional. You know, we had a lot of a lot of big league players had come out of that 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 facility and that program, and we had done pretty good. But Tom, you know, was was wise enough and smart enough to identify that if he could help us out tremendously by building a state-of-the-art facility, and and uh, we went right to work trying to identify a piece of land, uh, which we did, and we bought it within a year, and then started construction there shortly after and broke ground in 2013. So it helps not just from a development standpoint, not from just a cultural simulation standpoint, which we give these guys all kinds of training and all kinds of preparation. So when they do step ground in the U.S. for the first time, they're not lost. Not just on the field, but off the field as well. You know, they can order off a menu. They can open a checking account. They can write a check. You know, they can... Hopefully converse and just survival skills really until they grow a little more. Just initially when they get into the, into that type of setting in the, in a new country, they can have a nice uh, base to start with. So those are all the uh, the programs, the ideas, the learning process that they go through. Some capture it sooner than others, both both on and off the field, but. It's a tremendous thing, and the facility itself and the academy and the, the track record we have definitely helps us try to find the next great Cub player or the next great Cub prospect and certainly helps from a recruiting standpoint.
3: As Bruce mentioned, Louis Hawa has overseen the construction and the building of those facilities for the Pirates, the Red Sox, the Cubs as well. Anybody else? Any? I know you were with the Marlins for a long t- time. Did you help oversee the – the building of that facility as well, Lou? Well, y-
5: yes and no, because that that facility with the Marlins, you guys know the history with the ownership there, and, and uh, obviously when John Henry owned the Marlins before he bought the Red Sox. So that facility was started while John still owned the Marlins, and we had purchased that land and started that construction for the Marlins. While in the transition of selling and buying the selling the Marlins and buying the Red Sox, it wasn't yet complete. We are kind of right in the middle. Uh-huh. So he decided just to finish it and bring it with him to Boston. So, yeah, it started as a Marlin project, but then we finished it as, as Red Sox. So ah, yeah. it's still their facility uh, to this day.
3: Yeah, yeah. So, the, yeah. Mind, the mind is reeling now with all the trades between those two organizations and the young Latin <laughs> prospects that changed hands, Annabelle Ramirez and yeah. Hanley, Hanley Ramirez, Annabelle Sanchez, Hanley Ramirez, and guys yeah. like that. But um, I, right. Louis... T- tell us what you saw in a 15-year-old miguel cabrera uh who you referenced before because i imagine you're looking for that every day of your scouting life afterwards you know it- it's it's so fascinating to 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 think about what an international scout like yourself is is looking for what did you see in miguel and do you suspect you'll ever see it again uh
5: that's a good question and and I- this market is so unpredictable, I would say, you know, we're were basically rolling the dice and and trying to predict what a 15 or 16 year old is going to do when he's 22, 23, 25 years old. So yeah. And like Bruce or, or one, or you mentioned before, some of the guys don't quite pan out because of different reasons, whether it's cultural simulation or on the field or off the field. So Yeah, it's a, it's a, it's. But every once in a while, like you you see one that you feel really sure about or really good about, and Cabrera was one of those guys that, you know, you felt that this guy has, you know, the it factor to be, the, uh, everything to 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 play out, and him to be an impact player in the big leagues, even though you're staring at a 15 year old. It's one of those rare cases where you walk on a field and. You know, the guy lights you up. And, and it hasn't happened to me very often, you know, in my 29 years of scouting. But that was one of them. And, uh, oh, yeah. yeah. So we, we and, 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 I, and I do give a lot of credit to John Henry and, and, and ownership at the time. Because prior to that, we had never, with the Marlins, we had never really invested that much in a teenage prospect in Latin America. We had had a lot of success. But the market was different then. It was before that, it was, you know, we were signing guys for 10000 20000 These guys would be and, – and that was the norm. Very few guys were getting six-figure bonuses or even forget about seven-figure bonuses, you know. So I think a couple years before that, it was starting to change. And John Henry identified that when he bought the team. And right away, he told us, hey, you guys – i have done a great job with little or no money to deal to work with here with these international signings i know the market's changing if you guys see anybody that you think is worth a six or a seven figure signing bonuses i'll i'll give you the money to go do it so i i was planning a trip to venezuela the following week and told our guy down there miguel garcia hey we we are going to be able to compete with these new uh big bonuses So if there's anybody out there now, we don't want to just give it to anybody just because we have all this money. Now we want to make sure it's the right guy. And he mentioned Miguel Cabrera, who I had already heard of, but hadn't seen yet. So we made it a point to see him on that trip. And sure enough, I walk on the field and he's not there yet. He was late because he had, he was in school. His mom came over and said he was a little late. And I'm like, it's weird. The mom's here, but he's not come to find out. He lives right behind this field. And, he all of a sudden i see this kid scale the wall behind first base and he was like a man child he was like already about six two at the time um but he looked like he was nine or ten in the face very young looking (laughs) face and which (laughs) he still kind of does i mean (laughs) you know so i was uh you know I walked right up to him, and he walked right up to me and apologized. He said he was in school and had to take a test, and that's why he was a little late, and I said, no problem. So he gets out there and starts getting ready, and the first thing we do is throw him at shortstop. The guy could really play shortstop at the time. He was a shortstop growing up, and he had great hands and a great arm. Um, but, you know, physically you can tell he was probably going to grow out of that position. But – the the, the the real impressive thing, obviously, was when he came up to bat. And that day, we just strictly did batting practice with him. We didn't have a game or anything to see. But it was so impressive to see the way he took BP and the way he handled the bat. And when he wanted to hit the ball 400 feet, he could. When I asked him to hit the ball the other way, he could. When he wanted to shoot the ball up the middle or hit a ball in the gap, it was just amazing to watch this kid work the bat head like, you know, like it was his instrument. And um, I, I left there so impressed. We were driving to Caracas that night, and, which is about a two-hour drive. I was flying home the next day, and I had to, Al Avila was our scouting director at the time. And uh, I called Al, and I said, Al, I found the guy that John Henry told us to go look for. And basically, the guy had been hoping to see my whole life. And he's like, are you crazy? You're gonna get us all fired. Just <laughs> all of a sudden, you have all this money. The owner gives you money to go sign find a phenom for us, and 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 invest them, and you want to give it to the first guy you see. You're gonna get us fired. You've gone nuts. And I said, Al, you don't understand. And he let me have it pretty good on the phone. He thought I had lost my mind. And long story short, I, I got him. I convinced him to come back with me in two weeks and see him play in a couple games. And he looked even better. Uh, hitting against a, a a pitcher in a game that we did at seen him in BP. And it was, you know, everything we wanted to see over the course of two games and that weekend where Al was like, okay, full court press, you got to live with this guy from now on. We can't lose this guy. This is a guy we are number one target. And we were still 10 months away from him being able to sign. So it was a battle. And at the end, there was a, a lot of competition, but, because of the relationship we had built, and our scouts got to know the kid really well, and my frequent travels there, we were able to secure him and beat the competition. But to tell you the truth, you know, it was a it was one of those rare situations in this market where you 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 feel that like, okay, this guy, he's pretty much a can't miss guy. He's gonna he's gonna be something special.
4: And Luke, again, it's I'm very sorry, rare man.
5: that I've seen that.
4: Mm-hmm. Louie, uh, Matt and I really appreciate your time. You and Alex Suarez keep doing fantastic job. It was great catching up with you. Have a, a good winter. Hopefully uh, we'll see you in spring training if you're not out uh, doing what you do in the uh Latin, Latin America. But uh, thanks again for joining us today. We really appreciate it.
5: Thanks a lot, guys. Enjoyed it and hope to see you guys soon for sure. Thanks,
4: Larry. Absolutely. Absolutely. Louis Alhawa, the uh, Director of International Scouting and uh, the uh, Development Plan for the Cubs. And, and like I said, him and Alex Suarez uh, do a fantastic job uh, for the Chicago Cubs. And uh, it's going to be interesting to see how uh, Hernandez uh, shapes up uh, their number one goal and signee signed up for uh, three I think between three and three point five million dollars
3: yeah Christian Hernandez he said in there the best signee they've had as a Cub that includes Glaber and Eloy and a whole bunch of others keep it right here on 670 the score Susan Waldman the pioneering broadcaster from WFAN and of course the Yankees booth joins us next on inside the clubhouse right here on 670 the score
1: call from mom answer it call silenced
0: His foul back to the screen. You
1: know how we were talking about how pitchers, when they're runners on base, everything really slows down and they go through different sets of signs. I said to Aaron Boone the other day, I said, you know, I always wonder, because for years, you know, nobody did this and people always stole signs. And he said, the technology now is so immense and so different that you really have to do this.
3: Welcome back in on Inside the Clubhouse on 670 The Score. Interesting times in baseball for sure in terms of that issue uh, being discussed right there on the Yankees broadcast between John Sterling and our next guest who joins us right now on the Alpamani Nissan Hotline. Alpamani Nissan is in Melrose Park on North Avenue, and you can check them out online at apnissan.com.
4: Matt, a longtime friend of mine who uh, started at age uh, 15 in 1987 at WFAN and uh, one of the great broadcasters along with John Sterling doing Yankee baseball for an awful long time now. Started back in 1987 with WFAN. My good friend Susan Waldman joins us on Inside the Clubhouse. Good morning, Susan. How are you? were you and Bruce, how many
1: important things have happened to both of us when you and I were on the phone with each other starting in 1987, including last Wednesday when you were on the phone when I got the call to come and get my COVID shot?
4: Yeah, nothing more important <laughs> than that. That's for that's <laughs> darn sure. And we, we have had shared many, many moments of communicating. Uh, to, you know, Su- Matt, Susan and I, Talked at length like, before she became the the Yankee uh, color commentator along with John Sterling. She was an ace reporter at WFAN covering the Yankees for a long time, and we would we would share uh, information yep. in the off season. We would always talk about trades that were relevant between the the Yankees, Boston, uh, the Cubs, uh, all all those areas. And uh, we you know it, it was fun networking and getting to know her. And uh, now all the great broadcasting uh time behind you you're still going strong at uh wfan and doing the yankee broadcasts. susan uh how how was last year uh doing any everything on monitors when you were uh doing the away games how how difficult was that for you and john
1: all of it bruce was was very difficult and um you know you know that you've got a responsibility to because uh, people are depending on you to bring them baseball, and I want you to set the, I want to set this up uh, Home games weren't that much better either because we had no contact with players and no contact with the manager and coaches except on those zooms and it's really hard to do things like that and um, and what you have to do is keep up and keep it the way it was because people are depending on you because they want some relief but I want to set up what was going on I was in one booth John was in another booth with our engineer Um, you know doors were closed we didn't really get to see each other because you sort of had to look around things and um, you could the monitors were sometimes good sometimes not good it depends on where they were and who was behind the camera um, it was, things were fine in Yankee Stadium. What baseball did was put up a separate monitor for us that had nine different screens on it. And so you could see things when they were away, like... The bullpens, and you know just think if you're trying to broadcast a game and all you're seeing is what people see on television you don't know where people are situated you don't know who's warming up in the bullpen you don't know what's going on in the in the dugout and it's hard to do a game. There were a couple guys that um i when somebody had that camera off, I was talking to John and Stanton was up, and I saw him hit the ball to the right side, and I said. I have no idea. It's over there somewhere. (laughs) And then the camera went, and it just think about it. I mean, I knew it was going down the right field line because I could see him hit it, but we had no idea where it went, except he kept running around the bases. So I said, well, it's over there somewhere. And there were a lot of things like that, but for me, the hardest thing was not having any contact um, with people. And as Bruce knows, we've made our whole career on contacts with people and getting to know what makes them tick. And when that is gone, it's it's very, very different. It's really different. And I think that's the thing that was, was kind of lost with that. It was very hard, but we got through it. It felt like about six years. If we have to do 162 games like that, I'm not quite sure what's going to happen.
3: Yeah that that's the thing isn't it it's the interaction with people that is the lifeblood of the game in terms of conversation in terms of the nuance that broadcasters or talk show hosts can bring to it as we discuss it and if you don't learn that stuff then it doesn't it doesn't feel as special can you can you t- can you tell people something that you picked up in a batting practice sessions, standing around the cage one time that ended up informing your broadcast. You're like, th- those kind of things, Susan, that, that people don't realize that that's where the gold is often found. In, well, in Matt,
1: and, and, and the perfect thing, and I'm glad you brought that up, is because um, as, you know, I'm not a player, so, it, so what I wanted to do, I wanted to show my audience or bring the audience something that they can't get by watching it on television or reading the papers. So whether... I'm um, behind the cage and say to Wade Boggs, um, why are you going the other way with that? Why are you continuing to hit over there? Um, he said, well, because this pitcher does this and this and this, and I can't get around. And so when he did it, there it is. But that's way back. I mean, and that's every single day mm-hmm. um, for in, for for something that... Um, Here's another another thing. When we were in Kansas City a few years ago, um, Curtis Granderson uh, was not in the lineup for a couple of days. And nobody knew why, and I just happened to walk into the clubhouse because I'm always places where I shouldn't be. And I said, what's going on? And then he told me that they was going to take a couple of days off because Kevin Long, who was then the batting coach, is going to work on his swing against lefties. So they want to they wanted him to take a couple of days off so they could just concentrate on that. That's something you don't get by reading the paper. That's something that he told me. And those are the kinds of things that um, I try to do every single day. And that's, that was gone. It was just gone. And, you know, the things that you say, you know, Bruce, how many times you've gone over to a player and say, you shouldn't have said that. Don't do it. And you know those days, those things were gone. For example, Luke White had footstuff. They were for all year. He had foot stuff. We never knew what it was. If we had been in that clubhouse, I sort of said, "What's going on with you?" And he would have said, "Oh, I got a little plantar fasciitis." But those things are gone. So mm-hmm. you're just ta- you, you can only put on the air what the team tells you, which usually isn't <laughs> how you want to build a broadcast.
4: Susan Waldman joins us on Inside the Clubhouse. She's a pioneer in uh, sports radio covering baseball, not because she's a woman, but because she's a great reporter and a great people person. And that, that has been lost uh, a lot over the years when uh, they try to put you in a, in a little compartment, Susan, and say, yeah, she's a great female broadcaster. No, you were an innovator in reporting baseball on WFAN, when there was no sports radio stations, when there was no radio reporters competing with writers and broadcasters for stories, so uh, I think we have to make the clear the, the clear idea sure. that uh, this is something that uh, you and and me, as well as a uh, sports radio reporter, had to fight to uh, get credibility in order to break stories right with uh, the, the, the writers who uh, there was a tremendous amount of pushback on.
1: Oh, there, there really was, and you know that. And, and uh, you know, when I became a radio reporter, it was because um, it, it wasn't working. When FAN went on the air, when WFAN went on the air, that was the first that was the first one, and uh, there was a lot of pushback about, against a woman on the air. I had started doing updates, and I really wasn't very good at it, and so if I wanted to get off overnight, um, I, I went to the program director and said, you know, we're doing all this stuff with the beat writers, putting them on the air. They're never going to tell us anything. Why don't you give me a, a, a tape recorder? I'll go around. You don't have to pay me anymore, because they weren't going away anyway. I'll take my car, and I'll drive everywhere. And I was there with those big, giant Marances that we all used to carry around. And so that's when I said, you know, I can get on the air at 12 o'clock. I can break things in midnight, and they can't. And that's how that started. I made up that job because that was – I was going to – they were going to, like, shelve me and put me in a studio and reading promos and things. So that's how that started. I had to keep going because I liked what I was doing, and I thought I had something to – to contribute. So that's how that started. And I was just thinking about the trades we broke, um, Bruce Levine. I think it wasn't the first one, Steve Sachs in Chicago?
4: Yes, it was.
1: (laughs) (laughs) All right, that just came to my mind. We We would talk to different sources and then compare, and then we'd say, all right, I got it. The other one, the last one, I guess, was Swisher and Wilson Bettermeat
4: yeah yeah that was, that was and you know uh you know Matt working with Susan on these was was so much fun because we would we would break them simultaneously on our different stations uh, so that uh, we would have the the equal amount of uh, credit. Back then, there was no Twitter, so what you did was you would call a p and you would let them know that you have a breaking story, and then they would print it up and send it out across the country, first reported by Susan Waldman, WFAN. And that's how, that's how things were done back before the Twitter days. That's a, Right, it, it and
1: before a, it became an, a, you know, a, an outlet for television. We used to do that at winter meetings and, uh, yeah, and all over, and that's how it used to be done. It was a lot more fun back then.
3: Well, uh, <laughs> this is really cool to talk to you, Susan. I, I grew up wanting to be a, a talk show host because, because of Arthur George Rust, Jr. on WABC. Oh, my goodness. And then, and then here in Steve Summers schmoozing overnights along with you and and others on Fan. So, so it, yeah, this is, it, it's it, it's quite a legacy. Now I have to ask you this because I was I was also a musical theater kid. Um, I was proudest I would say of Luther Billis in South Pacific or Moonface Martin <laughs> in Anything Goes. Those were my. You know, those are some of my high school claims to fame. You're a former musical theater actress. Your favorite part or two that you played in that? My favorite
1: part. Well, I bought my house with Man of La Mancha, so it has to be. (laughs) be (laughs) Three acres on a lake, uh, because I've started Man of La Mancha off and on for many, 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 many years. So uh, that has to be that. That's my favorite. favorite. There you go. There there were a million other parts, but that one was was the big one. And (laughs) You know, that was that. So I was Aldonza in Manila Mancha for all kinds of years. And the last two years of that, I worked with Richard Kiley, who was the original. And, you know, when you're, you know how you know that it's never going to get any better than this? That's how I knew. It's never going to get any better than this. I'd better find something else to do.
4: Wow. Susan, in closing with you, um, you know, the sad story that came out of New York, and obviously uh, the women reporters and broadcasters like yourself are initially called, uh, because they they want a response <laughs> from a woman uh, on something that we all know is just flat out dead wrong, regardless. But from your experiences, starting back in, in 1987 till now, um, you know what 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 was what were some of the the major challenges that you can surmise in a couple minutes here without uh, you know you know Bruce?
1: In- let me let me stop you there. And we've talked about this for a long time. And um, you know back then it was. It was not Twitter. It was up close and personal. And let's just say that the worst part of it was uh, not necessarily the players that you can handle. I actually had my own police detail for a solid year because someone was trying to kill me at Yankee Stadium in 89. But huh. my, what I'd like to make about this is that the longer, and I really believe this, the longer we make this a women in sports issue, Mm-hmm. the less likely anything is going to change, because there's always creeps everywhere. This is no different from the 20 years I spent in theater with casting ch- couches and all those kinds of things. It's no different from women lawyers that I know who were blackmailed by law professors to get a, to get a good grade. It's everywhere. This is a societal problem and not a sports problem. It is everywhere, and the, the longer that we just think it's women in sports and we have to stop it, um, because most people sit there and say, well, then do something else. It shouldn't happen, but t- I think it's starting to change. And I see um, things, that are, the things that I see are different. When um, that wonderful reporter Stephanie Epstein broke the, the story of the, the cheating scandal and that whole, um, the guy who was fired for saying things in the, in the clubhouse, people came to her support. And 30 years ago, no one came to my support. And that, I think, is changing. And I really like that. And, um, you know, with what happened to this unfortunate woman who's back in wherever she she is and, and uh, Jared Porter, the difference is now it's out there. I am really sorry that she didn't feel comfortable uh, reporting it to anybody. But there's generations of women who never felt comfortable reporting it to people. And it's, everywhere it's not just sports and i really believe that it's that as long as it just as a women in baseball um, problem it's never going to change this is this is everywhere
4: susan uh, matt and i really appreciate the time and uh, it's it's so much fun catching up with you on the air we still have our great friendship which i cherish for all these many years be happy be safe and hopefully someday soon we'll be uh, sitting in dugouts together talking to each other and feeling comfortable about it.
1: I hope so. I hope so. You guys, with uh, when you go to White Sox games, you're going to have some fun this year.
3: Oh, yeah, yeah we it's going to be a good ball club. They're going yeah. to dream the impossible dream, Susan. <laughs>
1: <laughs> That's <laughs> what they're going to No, gonna... no you, you and I are going to have a little conversation about this. <laughs> like Lisa Dillis. oh my goodness. Okay.
4: Thank you, Take Susan. Care, Susan. Thank you, Thank so, you much. so much.
1: Bye-bye. Talk right. to you
4: soon. Uh, uh, the great Susan Waldman joining us on Inside the Clubhouse. Um, you know, nothing more to be said, just fantastic all the time and amazing, transcends amazing. Uh, all the, the years that she's worked there. She's still 100% on top of her game.
3: Outstanding! That that was that was a pleasure, and uh, man, she sang a hell of an anthem last year too. When she had to pay off a bet to Garrett Cole, she absolutely killed it that day. I hope she does it again. Six seventy, the score is what you're listening to. He's Bruce Levine. I'm Matt Spiegel. It's inside the clubhouse. We'll come back, wrap it up, and hand it off to Rosie and Grody next on the score. It is Inside the Clubhouse on 670 The Score. Um, Three pretty interesting disparate interviews today. If you have missed it, any of it, you can uh, check it out on the Rewind feature on radio.com. Billy Williams talking about his friend, the late Hank Aaron. Some incredible stuff in there. Uh, Louis Elhawa really really enjoyed some of those stories and including the unlikelihood that he will ever again see a prospect like 15 year old Miguel Cabrera in Venezuela and then right there with uh with Susan Waldman uh, some fun stuff today Bruce
4: yeah absolutely and uh you know spring training coming upon us very quickly we will continue each week to report um what's close I, I expect the Chicago Cubs to sign some veteran pitchers this week I think um a lot of the teams are going to be extremely active. Still, you know, over 50% of the free agents out there uh, from uh, filing in November for free agency. So veteran pitchers for the Chicago Cubs, maybe a little uh, backup situation for the White Sox, uh, possibly a backup catcher along the way, maybe another uh, outfielder, but that's down the line. Uh, their heavy lifting is over with uh, for this spring, as we talked about. Their payroll is somewhere around $130, 132000000 million. Uh, that's where they're going to uh, settle at. And job well done for winning the offseason along with the Padres and the uh, Blue Jays as far as getting uh, players added onto their roster.
3: Interesting um, to think about what starting pitchers might come. I had dreamed uh, of Corey Kluber. Maybe that was the best arm of these like sort of reclamation project, one-year prove-it deal kind of kind of people. Is that the kind of profile you're thinking about for the Cubs? It would be maybe James Paxton or Rick How Porcello. How about a left-handed
4: pitcher that used to start for the Chicago White Sox for the Cubs?
3: Carlos Redon?
4: Yes, free agent out there, recovered from uh, yet another arm injury, uh, ready to come back and resurrect his career, still a young guy. Mm-hmm. Uh, what do the Cubs not have in their rotation right now, Matt?
3: A lefty, uh, lefty who throws hard, uh, also. Or a
4: lefty, period.
3: A lefty yeah, lefty at all, yeah. Yeah. I, 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 wonder, I wonder if Chris Archer, a former Cub prospect from moons mm-hmm. ago, is somebody to consider at age 32. That's a lot of talent, probably still available yeah. to be uh, mined.
4: One of the most overrated pitchers in the history of baseball, um, uh, Archer, who had uh, some splendid years <laughs> 200 innings, 200 strikeouts, never won games, okay? Look at that record. Look at the ERA over the years, the uh, cumulative. Uh, he was, he certainly had the tools, but somehow um, it never translated into any big years for uh, him at all, other than the 200 innings, 200 strikeouts, I think of three years in a row.
3: Yeah, I, I, I often look at the trade tree that the Tampa Rays had. I think it was Delman Young that they turned into Matt Garza, and then Matt Garza, they turned into Chris Archer. And then Chris Archer, they turned into Tyler Glass now. That's uh, quite, a, quite a tree. Yeah, quite, quite a tree there. Uh, Bruce, it's been a pleasure. Thanks so much.
4: Yeah, people to thank, of course, Billy Williams, uh, Louis uh, Hawa, the uh, Cubs as well, Susan Waldman, the great Yankee broadcaster, Adam Stadzinski, job well done producing this show. Always people can follow me on Twitter at MLB Bruce Levine. I read Cubs and Sox every day on 670thescore.com. Have a great week, Matt.
3: Yeah, you too, Bruce. Rosenblum and Grody, Saturday's Suckage are up next right here on The Score. Don't forget, tomorrow, both of your NFL championship games. Coverage for the game starts at 1 p.m. tomorrow right here on The Score. Me, I'll be in with Danny Parkins on Monday, and I believe Friday, uh, I'll be hosting either solo or TBD. But anyway, have a wonderful day and have a wonderful week, everybody. See you later.